I know we've kind of been up and down, but I want you to stand to your feet for just a moment, if you don't mind, and, and uh, I want to share something with you. It hit me as I was coming into church today. There are millions upon millions of believers in China who cannot do what you're doing right now. They would give anything if they could walk into a public place of worship like this and worship the God that they love. They can't do it. I know because I've been to China. I've met with the underground pastors there at night who came under the cover of darkness. And when they walked into my hotel room, wouldn't even speak for about five minutes to make sure they had not been followed. So I'll just say that to you to say, first of all, I want to thank you for coming. But number two, don't take for granted what you're doing right now. Because there are believers all over the world that would give anything if just one Sunday they could get up with their family in the freedom that we enjoy and come to the house of God to hear the word of God about the Son of God. Amen. So all that, so would you just give the Lord a hand this morning and just thank the Lord for being here. Thanks. And uh, you can be seated. And I want to begin by saying to those who are watching online, by television, those at our Mill Creek campus, those who are here, and our Sugarloaf campus, this can happen to anybody. And it can happen to the best of us. It happened to a man that uh, I would have considered one of my dearest friends, would have trusted this man with my life. Uh, when we used to go to youth camp at my former church, he was the camp director. And yet, uh, in one weak moment in his life, he got caught in the wrong place at the wrong time, attempting to do the wrong thing, and he went to prison. I went to federal court to testify in his behalf as a character witness. What he did was wrong. He deserved to go to prison. But it's been well said, never mistake the moment for the man. And I knew this moment did not represent this man. Nevertheless, he fell. He went to prison. It was such a devastating experience that not too long after he got out of prison, he took his own life. It can happen to the best of us. It happened to two of my closest relatives. Neither one of them is what you'd call a hardened criminal to their friends and their family. They would be known as good people. But both of them got caught up in a momentary lapse of poor judgment. And once again, wrong place, wrong time, did the wrong thing. Two of my closest relatives, one died in prison. The other spent over a decade of his life in prison. All three of these people fell into sin and by themselves, they couldn't get up. When all three of those situations happened, I was faced with a big decision, both as a pastor, as a friend, and as a member of the family. So what am I going to do about it? How am I going to handle it? What did all three of those people need from me the most at that time in their life? And what did all three of those people need from the church at most? And that answer is found in a little book in the Bible called Galatians. And if you have been coming in, I hope you have, with one of these little booklets, we're on page 18. You'll find the scripture passage we're in today. And by the way, if you don't have one of these, we've got some out in the lobby. Pick one up on your way out. We're going to be in these for a while. We're in a series in the book of Galatians that we're calling Free at Last. This is a letter that was written by a man named Paul to a bunch of new believers in a church called Galatia. And the problem was there were some legalistic hypocrites who had kind of moved into the church. They were kind of these holier-than-thou's people that thought they had more figured out than God does. And they basically had come into the church and said, 
grace is not enough, Jesus is not enough, faith is not enough. You got to do what we say and do it the way we do it or you'll never be right with God. So Paul writes this letter to these new believers letting them know Jesus did not come to give us more rules and more regulations and more restrictions. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't even come to give us another religion. He actually came to free us from religion. So the problem is we've got this situation where we've got people who either don't know God and they need to come to God, or you've got people who have come to God, but they've fallen away from God. And we've got a ministry to both of those people. So if you've ever wondered, for example, maybe you're new to church, you've never grown up in church, don't know much about church, you ever wonder why do you have church? Let me just make it very easy. We exist to fulfill two functions as a church. And the day we quit fulfilling either or both of these functions, we ought to sell this property, shut the door, and go do something else on Sunday morning. We have a function or a ministry called reconciliation. And we also have a ministry called restoration. That's what we do. That's the only two jobs that we have. Let me tell you the difference. Reconciliation is our ministry of bringing unbelievers to God. Restoration is our ministry of bringing believers back to God who have fallen away from God. So to give you a medical analogy, if the church was a doctor, we would be an obstetrician. Our job is to bring new babies into God's kingdom. Our job is to deliver people who don't have life into a kingdom where they will have life. So we're to share with people, we're to share with our ones how to be born again as children into the family of God. And we're to help deliver them into God's family. However, God's children sometimes fall. God's children sometimes mess up. God's children sometimes blow it. God's children don't always disobey their father. And they get caught in a trap of some sin. And if they have a healthy conscience, that sin becomes a burden that is so heavy and so crushing, they fall down and they can't get up and they can't get out. And they carry that burden with them all of the time. That's one believer. Then you've got other believers. Their problem is not sin. Their problem is not shame. Their problem is sorrow. Their problem is suffering. For example, some of you right now, you walked in here, you put on your Sunday best, you put on your Sunday face, you've got this big front going on, you've got people fooled, people look at you and say, man, you must have it together, you look great, you look sharp, life is good, you're hitting on all eight cylinders, but your marriage sucks. And you're either going through a painful divorce or you're thinking about it. Or you've got a child that's on drugs or in jail. Or you're suffering from a debilitating disease. So where one person may bear the burden of sin and shame, you've got another believer bearing the sin of sorrow and suffering. And what I want to share with you this morning is this. Whatever your burden may be, if there's one place where people carrying either burden ought to feel like they can go and find grace and find love and find mercy and find acceptance, it ought to be in the four walls of this building. It ought to be right here in this church. This is where people ought to say, this is where I need to be. So the question I want to answer is, how do you treat people who are broken down, who are burdened down, who are breaking down? Because we, you know, we, we need to make sure it's been famously said that we don't become a museum for saints. We become a hospital for those who are sinning 
in suffering. How do you do it? So maybe you know someone right now, and they're caught in a sin. They're caught in the trap of alcoholism or adultery. They have an unbitter, unforgiving spirit. They are in maybe battling depression, or they're going through a very difficult divorce. How do you handle those broken, burdened believers? And Paul gives us, and this church, three wonderful pieces of advice. He says, first of all, we are to gladly restore burdened believers. We are to gladly restore burdened believers. He begins in Galatians 6, 1 saying this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Now, Paul is giving a hypothetical situation. He says, look, let's suppose you know of a fellow believer. This is someone who says they know the Lord. They say they've trusted Christ, but they've been caught in a fault. Now, that word caught basically can have two meanings. It can refer to someone who's been caught up in a sin. They, 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 they came into a tempting situation. They didn't handle it well. They blew it, and they fell flat on their face. Or it can mean someone who has been caught by someone in a sin. The point is, what Paul is talking about is not a bad person. They're not a, they're not a wicked person. This is not somebody who's sinning and they're happy about it. This is someone who is caught in the trap of sin. They want to get out, but they can't get out. They want to get up, but they can't get up. I mean, I've seen this all in my ministry. I have seen pastors who have lost their ministry and lost their marriage and lost their family and lost their testimony and lost their witness and lost their influence and lost their church. And I've never met one yet that, ha that it happened this way. I've never met a pastor that just got up one morning and said, you know, I think today I'll just blow it. I think I'll cheat on my wife. I think that I'll get into drugs. I think I'll embezzle money from the church. I think I'll blow every bit of influence and every bit of witness I have ever had in my life. I think today I'm just going to let God know I'm through with him. Never happens that way. 100% of the time, here's what happens. They allowed themselves to get into a bad situation. They allowed themselves to get into the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. They did the wrong thing. And before they knew it, they were caught in a sin. That's who he was talking about here. This is a brother, a believer, who is caught in a sin. There's a great biblical illustration. You remember the story of David and Bathsheba. Let me tell you what didn't happen that night. David did not go out onto the porch. It probably was a hot night. Maybe wanted some fresh air. Maybe he was bored. I can promise you, David didn't decide to get up off of his couch, go out to his porch. He didn't go out there and think, you know, I think tonight would be a great night to commit adultery. I think tonight would be a great night to get another man's wife pregnant. I think another great idea would be to kill the husband to cover it up, and then I'll marry her and live happily ever after. That is not the way it happened. He just went out on the porch maybe to get a breath of fresh air. And instead of turning around, which he should have done, going back into the palace, which he should have done, before he knew it, he is caught in this spider web of sin. That's exactly who, Dave, who Paul is talking about. Now, the question is this. If a fellow believer, our believers learn about this person's sin, what do they do? So you know someone. They're a friend. They claim to be a follower of Jesus, but they're not living the way they ought to live. They've done things they, they shouldn't do, and they're doing things they shouldn't do. They're not living the way they ought to live, and you know they're, they're, that they're not. What do you do? Do you shut them out? Stick your head in the sand and hope it goes away? 
Pretend it's not happening, ignore it, forget about it, what do you do? Now keep in mind, it's important to understand, we're not talking here about an unbeliever. This is someone who is far away from God, they're living in unbroken sin, they've rejected God, and they sleep like a baby. This is not someone that needs reconciliation. This is someone that needs restoration. Here's a fellow believer, and he's been caught. And by the way, that word carries with it the connotation of being caught by surprise. In other words, again, they weren't looking for sin. They didn't go out intentionally, meaning to blow everything they'd ever worked for all their life. They just fell into a temptation trap, and they got caught in this sin. This is not about an unbeliever who lives in unbroken sin. This is about a believer who has been broken by sin. This is not who that person really is. And by the way, we've got examples of this all through the Bible. Moses murdered an Egyptian, but Moses was not a serial killer. Peter denied Jesus, but he was not a God-hating atheist. David committed adultery, but he was not a lascivious playboy. So what Paul is asking is this, okay, church, when a child of God falls, when a child of God blows it, when a child of God is, wa is wallowing in the mud of sin, what are we going to do as their brother and their sister because this is a family affair? Paul says, here's what we ought to do. We ought to restore that person. By the way, it's a beautiful word. The word restore is a medical term. Actually, it's a surgical term. And, and, and it refers to the setting of a broken bone or, or a dislocated joint. So that will give some of you, uh, in fact, I'm going to make a lot of you feel good today, okay? People that don't know me that well, or they, you know, don't feel like they can be, you know, very informal around me, they call me Dr. Merritt, because, you know, I have a doctor's degree. Well, as I was preparing this message, I realized, you know what? I, I got to tell the church something today. You ready? I'm not the only doctor in this house this morning. I'm looking at a bunch of doctors out there. Because if you know Christ, if Jesus is your Lord, if you're a part of the family of God, you have a spiritually medical responsibility to mend broken believers. You have the responsibility to put broken homes back together and broken hearts back together and broken hopes back together. I'm not the only doctor in the house. So let's just take this analogy, okay? Let me tell you what Paul is saying here. Let's suppose you cut, you're walking down the street you come on this guy, let's say it's a guy, he's on the sidewalk, and you're a doctor, and you automatically realize what's happened. You don't know how it happened, but this guy has a broken arm, or this guy has a broken leg, all right? Let me ask you a question. So what does that guy need at that moment, right? I mean, he's writhing in pain, his arm's broken, his leg's broken. What does that person need? Well, before we let tell you what he does need, let me tell you some things he doesn't need. He doesn't need you to rejoice over his broken leg. You say, well, what do you mean? Sometimes, let's be honest, we're kind of glad when somebody falls. We're kind of glad when somebody blows it. Preachers are really bad about this. Some highbrowed, you know, celebrity pastor falls, and there are a lot of pastors out there secretly going, I'm so glad that guy fell. I never really liked that guy. Got a bigger church than I do. Got a bigger ministry than I do. Man, that's another one you can take off the shelf. We don't need to rejoice when somebody's broken. Tell you something else, we don't need to rebuke someone who's broken. You know, the last thing you don't, hear, don't you love this? You come up on a guy with a broken arm, first thing you do is you say, well, been looking where you were going, you went and broken your arm. 
You've been watching for the red light, you had broken your leg. Shame on you. No, they don't need you to preach to them, lecture them, tell them it's their fault. You weren't watching what you were doing, where you were walking. You weren't paying attention. In other words, we don't need to throw rocks at them or kick them when they're down. They don't need that. I'll tell you something else they don't need. We don't need to rejoice. We don't need to rebuke. We don't need to report their broken arm. We ought to go tell everybody else, have you heard about that guy? Do you know what's going on in his life right now? And oh, by the way, while we're in the neighborhood, I didn't want to say this for a long time, because I know some people think people like me are stupid sometimes, so let me just kind of set you straight. Don't try to camouflage your gossip by calling it a prayer request. <laughs> I'm not that stupid. <laughs> you know, we do that. Hey, don't tell anybody, but we need to pray for this brother. Don't tell anybody, but we need to pray for this sister. And oh, by the way, I'm telling you, no. When you find someone that's broken, they don't need to be rejoiced over. They don't need to be rebuked. They don't need to be reported. They need to be restored. They need that broken bone to be set. So here's the point. When you find someone who has sinned, they've blown it. You haven't blown it, but they've blown it. You're not where they are. The only person you ought to talk to, the only two people you ought to talk to is that person and God. You don't need to really talk about anybody else or to anybody else. And you see, our job is this. We're to set that arm. We're to help them get back on their feet because there's nothing more biblical. There's nothing more like Jesus than biblical bone setting. And oh, by the way, Paul says something very interesting. Paul said, when you see someone who is not in the spiritual condition they should be in, the way you respond to them will determine the spiritual condition you're in. Because he said, those, you know who ought to be restoring these people? He said, those of you who are living by the Spirit, those who live by the Spirit, you are the ones who should restore. Literally it says, you who are spiritual. You know why Paul said that? Do you know what God wants for every unbeliever who's never come to God? He wants us to bring them to God. Do you know what God wants for every believer who's fallen away from God? He wants us to bring them back to God. And if you've got that in your heart, if you've got a, a fire in your heart to say, Lord, when I meet someone that needs to be reconciled, let me reconcile them to you. Lord, when I meet someone that needs to be restored, let me restore them to you. Then you can know I am living by the Spirit. So Paul says when a believer is burdened, we are to gladly restore that brother. But then Paul does says something else. It's so wise. He says, also, we are to gently reclaim burdened believers. Now, listen to what Paul says. Here's a believer falling away from God, caught in a sin. We have a biblical term for that. It starts with a B. It's called backslidden. So Paul says, okay, you've got a believer here. They are backslidden. They have fallen away from God. Paul says, okay, not only are you to take your doctor's bag to his house, but he reminds us of something. And I don't know about you, but there are two things I always look for in a doctor. My, my personal physician's here this morning. He just walked in the door a while ago. There are two reasons why I love my doctor. Number one, we're the best of buds. But two reasons why I love my doctor, all right? Number one, he's a good doctor. He knows what he's doing, okay? So, and that's important, right? Okay, that's why I don't go to a mechanic when I'm sick. I want a guy that knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Number two, he's got a great bedside manner. 
He takes time. He, treat, he doesn't treat me like a number. He treats me like, you know, I'm really, and not just because I'm his pastor, I'm his friend. That's the two things I want the doctor. A, you know what you're doing. B, you have a great bedside manner. Paul says the same thing. He says, oh, by the way, if you're going to restore a broken brother or a broken sister, not just what you do is important, but how you do it and the way you do it is important. So he says this. He says, restore that person gently. So you know this. If you don't, let me clue you in. If you ever come up on someone and their leg is broken, I mean, the bone's sticking out of the skin, right? Or the, you, you, their arm is broken. Don't do this. Hey, I can help you. Boom! Don't do that. That's not what you do. What they need more than anything at that moment is a tender touch. And what Paul is saying is this. The last thing that a burdened believer needs is under the burden of sin. They're living in sin. They fall away from God. The last thing they need is some highbrow, hypocritical, hypercritical Pharisee hosing him down with the acid of condemnation. Because let me tell you something the church has been really good at, and I've seen it happen too many times. We are great at shooting our wounded. We are really great at piling on when somebody is down. And by the way, that's why so many people who fall into sin, who, who, who claim to be believers, but they somehow get into this trap of alcoholism or addiction or adultery or fornication or bitterness or pornography. You know what happens the vast majority of the time? They don't come back to the church. You know why they don't come back to the church? Two reasons. Number one, they're ashamed, and number two, they're afraid. They're ashamed of what they've done. They're ashamed of how they've fallen, and they're, and they're also afraid of how the church will respond. How will we look at them? Will we just talk about them? Will we just ignore them? And that's why, you know what happens to a lot of these people? They don't go to the church when they got a problem. They go to the bar. And you know why they go to the bar? Because they know they'll find more love and sympathy at the bar than they do at the church. Paul says, we need to restore these people gently. So I want to say something to all of us, beginning with me. I've had a problem all of my life. I guess I'll have it all of my life. And frankly, I don't feel bad because you've got this problem as well. And if you don't think you do, you've really got the problem. I have a tendency to always see the best in me and the worst in others. Have you ever noticed how we're quick to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but not so quick to give somebody else the benefit of the doubt? Isn't that kind of interesting? Now, should we, when we see a stick in someone's eye, pull it out? Absolutely. But Jesus is right. You make sure you don't have a log in your eye first. And that's why we need to restore burdened believers, not just gently, but humbly. You know why? Because Paul goes on to say this. You're talking about a great psychologist. Paul was a master psychologist. Here's what he said. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And what, 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 what would Paul mean by that? Here's what Paul was saying. If you are a spiritual person, if you're living by the Holy Spirit, if you're really walking on, with God, if you're really going, hitting on all eight cylinders with God, when you see a backslidden believer, here's what you'll say first. What you will say first and who you say it first to will be this. The first thing you will say will not be to that backslidden, broken, burdened believer. The first thing you'll say is to yourself. And here's what you'll say. Except for the grace of God, I'd be there. Except for the grace of God, I would be the one that committed adultery. 
Except for the grace of God, I'd be the one that stole money from the business. Except for the grace of God, I'd be the one hooked on pornography. Except for the grace of God. So let me tell you why. Any sin a believer can fall into is a sin every believer can fall into. Amen. So let me, just, let me just say it to you this way. David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery. Your pastor can commit adultery. David, a man after God's own heart, had her husband killed. I could have somebody killed. Any sin that a believer can fall into, every believer can fall into. When you realize that the situation could be reversed, when you realize you could be the one lying flat on your back, then you'll approach that person with a spirit of humility and gentleness. So here's what Paul said. Paul said, when you come up on somebody and they're broken, they're burdened, they've blown it, they've messed up, they know they've messed up, you know they've messed up, you both know they've messed up. Paul said, if you're spiritual, you don't walk up to them with a pointed finger. You walk up to them with a helping hand. Amen. Brother, how can I restore you? How can I get you back on your feet? But then Paul says something else, and this is so good. He doesn't leave any stone unturned. He then says, thirdly, we are to graciously rebuild burdened believers. Now, let me tell you why this is so good. Paul actually does something you might would notice if you were just reading this on your own. He actually shifts gears from verse 1 to verse 2. He actually goes from one kind of burden to another kind of burden. Listen to what he says in verse 2. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, remember I told you at the beginning of the message, there are two types of burdens that believers bear. Some believers bear the burden of sin and shame. Some believers bear the burden of sorrow and suffering. Well, Paul's already dealt with the first burden. Here's a guy <clears throat> walked into a tempting situation, didn't do what he should have done. He blew it. He fell flat on his face. He messed up. Paul's dealt with that. But then he said, you know, but there's another kind of burden that believers get under. And in fact, they even have a big sign on their heart and it says, help wanted. And that's not the burden of sin and shame. That is the burden of sorrow and suffering. And these are burdens that we all carry at some time in life. The burden of depression. The burden of discouragement. The burden of divorce. The burden of disease. The burden of the death of a loved one. And the assumption behind this verse is, you know what? We all have burdens in life. Nobody gets through life burden-free. We all get burdens. We all have to carry things. And God says, listen, I never intend for anybody to carry those burdens alone. So some of you may need to listen to what I'm about to tell you. One of my dearest friends, been his pastor over 25 years, so you know what I'm talking about, is facing an unbelievably serious disease. He's literally in a battle for his life. I don't think I've ever met in all my years a kinder, sweeter, sweeter, more gentle, gentle man in my life. I've never met a man that was more willing to bear somebody's burdens. I've never met a man, a man in my life that was more willing to help people than this man. But now he has a big burden. And his burden has brought him a big problem. Here's his burden. His burden is he's sick. He is seriously sick. He is in a battle for his life. But that's not his biggest problem. You know what his biggest problem is? Letting other people bear that burden with him. 
When we first found out, we've been super close. When we first found out about this disease, first day, you know what he said to me? Now, Pastor, I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want to bother you. you. You got all these other people to care for. I'll be fine. Don't you worry about me. And I heard that over and over and over. And finally, I went to his home and I sat down with him. And I said, look, brother, I, I love you. And I'm not trying to be ugly or unkind when I say this. But I want you to hear something. I want you to hear this carefully. You are not a bother. You are my brother. Amen. You are not a bother. You are my brother. And I said, your biggest problem right now is not your sickness. Your biggest problem is your pride. I want you to hear this carefully. The first person we ought to always take our burdens are is to Jesus, okay? I, I want you to, I, I mean, that's the default, right? Jesus is the best burden bearer there is on, on, in, in history. But did you know that one of the ways that God uses to bear our burdens is through bringing other believers into our life to help bear that burden? Why do you think God's given us the friends that we have? Why do you think God's given us the relationship with you we have? Why do you think you're in this church? When my mom, toward the end of her life, about the last 18 months to two years, I never went to see my mom. Never went to see my mom. She wouldn't say something like this. Now, son, I don't ever want to be a burden to you. I, I, I want to look after myself as long as I can. But when I can no longer look after myself and I become a burden, I'd rather just die. She told me that all, all the time. And, I, and there was a time I used to think, Mom, that's so noble. That is so sweet. That is so courageous, and then one day it hit me, but it's just wrong. So I'm going to tell you something you've never heard a preacher say, but I'm going to tell you, it is so true from this passage. You ready for this? We are all custom designed by our Creator to be a burden to other people. We are all custom designed to be a burden to other people. If you have a toddler at home, keep that in mind. All right, now listen. You were designed to be a burden to me. I was designed to be a burden to you. And one of the responsibilities of family members is to bear each other's burdens. Listen, if you don't think that's true, why do you think Jesus came to planet Earth? He came for one reason, to bear the burden of our sin. That's why he came. We had a burden we couldn't carry. Jesus said, I'll take it off your plate. And here's the good news. Because he bore the burden of our sin we can enjoy the blessing of his salvation. And that ought to change the way we think about burdens. Let me tell you why. When you are bearing burdens, you're really sharing blessings. Amen. When you're bearing burdens, you're really sharing blessings. No believer is ever a burden to another believer. And if you refuse to allow others to share your burden, you are robbing them of the blessing of sharing that burden and bearing that burden. Because here's the truth. Nobody's immune to burdens. None of us are immune to the burdens of suffering and sorrow because one day it may be you that gets the pink slip. One day it may, get, may be you that gets the phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning from the police. One day it may be you that gets the bad report from the doctor. One day it may be you that served with divorce papers. And when that happens, two things better be true. There better be believers that are holy enough to bear that burden with you. But you better make sure you're humble enough to share that burden with that believer. It's a two-way street. Yeah. Don't ever think this is a trivial matter. You say, well, 
you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but, you know, I'm a, I'm a proud guy. I'm a Marine. You know, I'm a Navy SEAL. I'm this, I'm that. I'm a hunk of hunk of burning love. And, you know, I, 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 kinda, you know, I, I got this by myself. Let me tell you something. Don't blow me off. I'm going to you, tell you why. When somebody has a burden, and we know they've got a burden, and we don't step up and bear that burden, or if you're the one that's got the burden and you don't sit down and let somebody else share that burden, can I tell you what we both just did? We both broke the law. Say, what law? Paul said, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? To love one another. And when we see a burden believer, doesn't matter whether they're burdened with sin and shame, are their burden with sorrow and suffering? If we go like this, if we say, I'm not getting involved, I don't have the time, it's not my problem, it's too messy, let somebody else do it. That's fine. Understand, you just broke the law. You broke the law of Christ. You broke the law of love. If we keep our burden a secret, if we refuse to ask for help, if we just wallow in our sin and our shame, or if we hide our sorrow and our suffering, we break the law of love. So I want to encourage you to do something very specific. Came to me while I was working on this message. I've never done this before, and I'm going to get super, super specific. I'm going to ask some of you today to really seriously pray about something that I promise you some of you have said, that's one thing I will never do. That is one place I will never go. That is one ministry I will never get involved in. So buckle your seatbelt, take a deep breath. It's burdened me ever since I went into the ministry. And it's burdened me more because I've had it at home to me in my own family. Jesus said, you call me Lord, Lord. But when I was in prison, you didn't even visit me. We're getting super serious about prison ministry in our county. We've got a ministry at the Gwinnett County Jail. We've got a ministry at Phillips State Prison. I'm involved in it. I'm going to ask some of you today to pray about getting involved in that ministry. So, no, let me just go ahead and tell you. No, it's not Walmart. It's not Daytona Beach. I'm not saying it's easy. But I want to tell you, when I've been to these places... And I've seen these believers in prison almost without exception. You know what they'll say? They're not these people who say, I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. I shouldn't be here. No, just the opposite. I did it. I'm sorry. I'm repentant. I want to pay my debts to society. I have fallen into the trap of sin. And yes, it's true. Most of them really are in there because they were at the wrong place at the wrong time doing the wrong thing with the wrong person and they got caught. But every time I walk into that jail, every time I walk into that prison, and every time I hear that uncomfortable sound, and I'm going to tell you, I don't like to hear the clanging of that bar, that bar door shut behind me. That is not a cool feeling. But every time I do, the first thought that hits me is except for the grace of God, that would be me in here. Except for the grace of God, they'd be on the outside and I would be on the inside. So I'm going to ask you, both men and women, would you consider getting involved in our prison ministry? Whether it's in the county jail or the state prison, contact Steve Nolan, our, our, our missions pastor. He'll be glad to help you get involved. So let me just say this and I'll be finished. 
It really is a blessing when you see the sermon applied in real life. So I want to tell you just two things that just happened right out there in that lobby right there before you walked into this building at the end of our first service. A lady came up to me. She's in tears. She said, I want to get involved in the prison ministry. I've never thought I would do it. She said, I'm telling you, I know I need to do it. I want to get involved in the prison ministry. I said, great. But then she said, she and her husband are dealing with an issue. It's a serious issue. Found out about it. Her husband walked up and I said, hey, I want you to do me a favor. He said, sure, Pastor. I said, let me get under this burden with you. I'm going to share this burden with you. I wish you could have seen the look on his face. Then a couple came up to me. They were in Wisconsin. They watch us on TV every Sunday. He's down here for a conference. They came up to me and teared up, and they said, you will never know what this message meant. And I said, what do you mean? They pulled out a phone, showed me a picture of a beautifully big, husky, handsome, Hollywood-looking 24-year-old son that was killed in Afghanistan in a battle. And they said, we carry this burden with us everywhere we go. And just to stand up here and to hear a man of God say, let's get under that burden together. You don't know what that means to us. And I shared with them, and I'll share with you, and then we'll be done. I said, look, I'm going to be honest with you. You will never get over the loss of your son. That's not going to happen in this life. By the grace of God, you will get through it. And I said, as long as I live, I promise you, I got their names, I said, as long as I live, I'm going to bear that burden with you. So here's the point. So what's, what am I so passionate? Why, why boy, Pastor, what's the, what are you saying? I'm not so much concerned that we're the biggest church in this county or in this country or this state. I mean, I want numbers. I want to see this place packed. I'd love to see it filled. I'd love to see standing room only. And that's our goal. That's our desire. A lot of people to be saved. But I can lay my head on my pillow at night if I know that anybody can walk into this building, whether they're gay or straight, whether they're living a celibate life or they're sleeping with 15 women at the same time, whether the dirtiest thing they read is a comic book or they're knee-deep into pornography, I want people to walk into this church and know they'll find the tender loving care of a Savior who died for us. So would you, would you bow with me in prayer for just a moment? Heavenly Father, you've called us to take the lotion of love and the medicine of mercy and the galls of grace and apply it to broken brothers and sisters. And that's what I always want us to be about doing. Today, I want to talk to some of you in this room, and I'm telling you, I know I've hit nerves. I know I have. Well, it's really not me. It's just the Word of God. I just told the truth. But I wonder how many of you to be like a young man that came up to us after the 915 service. He was so excited. Do you know what happened? 
He's been living under the burden of sin all of his life. He's never trusted Christ. But today, he gave his life to Jesus. Came up with a smile on his face as broad as the ocean. So happy he was under, no longer under the burden of sin. All forgiven, all forgotten. I wonder how many of you today would say to me, can I get out from under the burden of my sin? You can, now and forever. If you'll just simply say this to Jesus right now. Just right now, say this to him. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe you're that Savior. You died to take the burden of my sin. And today, I'm releasing that burden to you. I'm trusting you as my Savior. I am receiving you as my Lord. I'm accepting your forgiveness of all of my sins. I repent and turn away from what I know is wrong. And I ask you to give me the power and the strength, not just to overcome my burden, but then, oh God, to help me to help others overcome theirs. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, I want you to do this for me right now. In your worship guide, you were given at the bottom of that guide, there's a card called Connection Card. Can't miss it. Take a pen or a pencil right now, sign your name, give us a contact information piece, cell phone, email, address, whatever. There's a box there that says, Today, I pray to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Check off that box right now. Now, if you checked off the first box, you ought to go ahead and check off the second box. I want to be biblically baptized, just like that young man was. You say, why? Because the way you let the world know, I'm no longer under the burden of my sin. I'm free from my sin. I'm a forgiven man. I'm a forgiven woman. Is by being baptized. And you may be like a person that came up to me a while ago. I got saved, but you know I've never been biblically baptized. I want to know more about it. That's you. Check off the second box. If you'd like to be a part of a church that has a desire to be a church that gives out tender, loving care, check off the third box. We'll show you how to be a part of our church. Now, for all of us, our number one ministry is reconciliation. There are people who are far from God. They've not fallen away from God. They've never even come to God. Who's your one? How many of you today, for the first time, would say, I'm going to take up my doctor's bag because I've got in my doctor's bag the same thing you do, Pastor. I've got the galls of grace. I've got the lotion of love. I've got the medicine of mercy. I've got the same thing you've got. How many of you will take just one and say, God, with your help, I am going to reconcile that broken, burdened unbeliever to you. I want to be a part of helping birth them into the kingdom of God. Who's your one? Father, my prayer is this. Whether it is an unbeliever who's never come to you or it's a believer who's fallen away from you, may we be about the business every day of the week of giving the tender, loving care of the one who loves us the most, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. I want to uh, just give you a little recap. This past week, we've just finished our preschool and our children's uh, camps all up here at church. We had hundreds of kids up here. If you're the kind of person who likes everything in its exact place, 
This was not the place for you this week. We had screaming, we had yelling, we had doors slamming, we had doors left open. There was stuff flying everywhere. It was awesome. We had a lot of kids who came to know Christ as their personal Savior this week. And we've got a lot of follow-up to do, so pray for us as we connect with these families. We have had a lot of visitors today for the first time who are here because of the camp this week. So if you're here with us for the first time, we thank you for coming and for, for bringing your kids to us. Also, mark your calendars. July the 27th is our CP Serves Day coming up uh, next month. It's going to be amazing. You can find all the information you need for that, and you can sign up to help at cpserves.org. It's got all the information you need right there. Sign up quick because it always fills up fast. All right? Thank you all for being here today, and you all are dismissed. <laughs>